How are you this morning? Amen. Get your Bibles out. We are in Ephesians chapter 6, getting very near the end of our blueprint for Christian conduct here. We've spent so much time in Ephesians 5 and 6 that we're going to recap just a little bit just so you can see how far we've come. Hope you enjoyed this study as much as I have because it's so impactful, just incredible uh, verses for our conduct and for the times that we live in, such a perfect fit. Isn't it just wonderful how God's Word is always the perfect fit for the time and season, amen? It's not a history book. It's a living, breathing book that shows us the love of God cover to cover. So as you get to Ephesians chapter 6, our target verse this morning is going to be 18. I'm going to read 18 through 20. Uh, 18 through 20 pretty much fills up the blueprints, what we'll be in. God willing, for the next couple weeks. But Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you uh, for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd make our minds alert, our hearts open, that you would drive the principles and the, the gems and the encouragement and the truth of this verse deep into our hearts, God, that it would never leave us. But as we sit in your presence here today, you'd make a deposit in us, and that's what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read to you Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert and all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, this is Paul speaking, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I proclaim it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Again, our target is verse 18. With all prayer, say prayer, prayer. and petition. I didn't say to say petition, now let's follow the leader. <laughs> Pray at all times, say all times. All in, the in the spirit. That's right. Be on the alert with all perseverance, and petition for all the saints. There's a lot packed into verse 18, and there's a lot packed into these two uh, chapters here that we've covered in our blueprint for Christianity. You say, why do we need a blueprint? Because our, our conduct matters. People are looking at us, and they're deciding what they think about Jesus because we say we follow him. So the way we conduct ourselves matters. Now, in these two chapters, we've covered many topics. Listen, as I just give you an overview of where we've come from. We started with imitation and foundation, imitating Christ, imitating the things of God. Then we went to warning against immorality, impurity, and greed. Then we talked about purity in our speech. And we did seven marks of a real Christian. Then four differences between believers and non-believers. Then four marks of the children of light. Three things to be careful of, avoiding drunkenness and being filled with the Holy Spirit, subjection to one another, wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving wives, children obeying their parents, fathering children in a biblical way, the employee-employer relationship. Then we went into the armor of God, and we did a sermon series on the belt of truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the preparation of gospel of peace. Then we did the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and here we are today. What a journey. Give God a hand clap of praise. 
lot of great topics in there. Hope that we're applying them to our lives. The last topic we're going to cover in chapter 6 for the blueprint here is the topic of prayer. Prayer is important. Someone say amen. amen. Christians should pray. There's a whole lot of people who pray, and they're not connected to God. And there's a whole lot of people who are connected to God and don't pray. Christians should pray. The last topic here we cover uh, is something that we all have experience with. I would venture to say that a very high percentage, if not all of us, have prayed before. Am I right in assuming that? Some people may, may have stumbled in and never have. I've, I've met people that, well, I've never prayed before. And then I've met people that, you know, they've been praying since they had a stream of consciousness going. So, you know, from a very young age, a lot of us were introduced to prayer. I know I was. Now, when you do something for a long time, you usually accumulate baggage about it. Anybody have baggage? Amen. Prayer baggage, that's what I'm talking about. Experiences with prayer, uh, a view of prayer, maybe a theological understanding of prayer. All of us bring baggage with us when it comes to the topic of prayer. Now, I can remember as a really young child uh, the, the seriousness and reverence that I was exposed to in prayer. And I went to a liturgical church, and if you were in there and it was time to pray, you, you better get quiet, you better kneel down, and if you make noise at the wrong time, someone's going to pinch the back of your arm arm, or maybe you got slapped, or I don't know. I still have scars from the nuns when I was a kid. But, you know, we, we learn these things. Well, it's time to get quiet. It's time to reverence ourselves. And, you know, if you were really serious, you'd close your eyes and be reverent. If you were really, really serious, and it was a serious situation, you'd light a candle for someone. I mean, that was like going all out. Come on. And these are the experiences many of us have had and some of the prayer baggage that we have. Now, some of us have experience answers to prayer that have totally built our faith. Can I hear an amen? You know, you pray, you ask God for something specific, and it happens in such a timely fashion that there's no denying that the God of heaven heard you and intervened in your situation. Someone say amen. And those are moments in prayer where that really builds our faith. It's nice to be heard, isn't it? It's like, you know, you say something to your children and they actually get up and do it. So we hear these times where we connect with God and he hears our prayers, and that's a great experience. Some of us have unanswered prayers, and we've prayed about things that didn't happen or didn't come to pass or didn't go our way. Has anyone ever felt like that? Come on, don't be so spiritual and lie to me. We've all prayed for stuff we didn't get, or we prayed for someone to live and they died, and then you sit there on the other side and you're like, well, what in the world was that all about? You know, I prayed and I put my heart into it. I had tears into it. I invested time on my knees. God, and it didn't go the way I prayed. You know, sometimes you get to the place where you're like, hey, I'm gonna just pray this prayer. Your will be done, right? But we can get disillusioned in prayer when our prayers don't get answered. We're gonna talk about that this morning and why they don't get answered. Some of us have prayed daily for decades. Some of us have prayed very little. Some of us have robust prayer lives right now. It's really healthy. Some of us are cold and dry and mechanical and we need God to breathe life into our prayer life, amen? So wherever you are at this morning, whatever baggage you're carrying, regardless of your experiences, or the current status of your prayer life, the word of God is very clear. God expects his people to pray. Amen. And we are so excited about it this morning. Because many times 
prayer requires humility. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I've been thinking about that scripture a lot. The humility is one thing. The repentance is another thing. But the prayer is the main thing. Are we praying? God wants us to be praying. Are we praying about the things that are going on in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our communities, in our nation, in our government? Are we praying? God expects his people to pray. Verse 18 is, is, is just so jam-packed with truth and, and with principles. I, I want to read it to you one more time, and we're going to jump in and pull it apart. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request from all the saints, for all the saints. So the first thing that verse 18 is telling us is this. There are three things. We're going to talk about the first one. The first thing is that our prayer life should be continual. Now look what it, it says there. Pray at all times. You might look at that and think, well, God's just, you know, doing that for effect or he's being rhetorical or he's trying to make an emphatic point. He can't possibly mean that we should pray at all times. That means while I'm preaching, you're not listening, you're praying. That means when you're at work and your boss is giving you instructions, you're praying. So understand, there's something to be uh, interpreted here so that we can apply this, but definitely we are to be praying a lot more than we are. Pray at all times. All of us have these mixed experiences. Maybe some of us have tried to pray continually and it was exhausting. Prayer is not something that we do sporadically or haphazardly or just in times of crisis or emergency. Well, I'm in trouble, I'm gonna pray. It's a good time to pray when you're in trouble. Please do not say I'm not gonna pray when I'm in trouble. Do you know we get that attitude sometimes? Man, I haven't prayed in a long time. You know, uh, God must be ticked at me. You know, now I'm in trouble. Now I'm crying out to God. You kind of feel a little bit sheepish, anybody? And so, you know, yeah, when we're in crisis, when we're in trouble, absolutely cry out to God and pray. But prayer is not just for crisis. Prayer is not just for trouble. Prayer is not just when we're in drama, amen? Prayer is a lifestyle. It's a continual flow. It's a connection to God. It's a communing with God that we wouldn't just do it when, you know, when we feel like it or, you know, at at times of, you know, success or great joy or breakthrough that we would just throw a prayer in here and there. No, our prayer life should be both regimented and continual. If you're taking notes today, I encourage you to write those two things down, regimented and continual. Our prayer life should be regimented in the sense that we have a daily time of prayer and communing with the Lord, that daily we intercede. A lot of people find the morning is the best time. I think it's the best time. If you're not a morning person, I understand. Uh, I'm not really one either, but start off your day by connecting with God somehow. When you get up in the morning, you should say, good morning, Lord. Well, that's a little weird. No, it's not weird. Christ in me, the hope of glory. God put his spirit in me, sealed me with the Holy Ghost. He's been watching over me as I sleep. He's been watching over you as you sleep, amen? (laughs) Guys, uh, over 40, he saw you get up eight times to go to the bathroom, you know? He's, He's watching, and there he is. He's looking at you, and he's like, you're up. Oh, they're up. Good morning, Lord. Yeah, he's with us. He wants to connect with us. He wants to commune with us. Don't tell God I'll talk to you after I get my coffee. Don't you do that. Some of you with the coffee. 
Good morning, Lord. Our prayer life should be regimented. It should be a daily time, a, spe- a specific time set apart for God. You say, well, that, that, that takes a lot of effort. It's that important. Prayer needs to not be the afterthought, but the, it needs to be the centerpiece of our lives, of our day. And, and God is saying here, it has to be regimented in a sense. But listen to me, when you're done with your little prayer time, when you're done with your intercession, when you're done communing, oh, leave time to listen to the Lord. Prayer is not a monologue. Some people pray like a monologue. I want this and I want that. And Lord, you know about this and straighten that person out. And don't let this happen. Amen, Lord, mic drop, start your day. Prayer is not a monologue. We express our hearts to God, absolutely. We tell him everything that's in there. Listen, he's the only one who has the patience to listen to most of us. So tell him what's on your heart, but then be still and know that he's God and listen. My sheep hear my voice. Listen for a response. How, it's crazy. We rush right out of the presence of God, and God's like, ah. I'll catch up with him some other time, some other way, and he does. He'll speak to you at lunchtime through a fortune cookie if he's got to. But you need regimented prayer life. Also, our prayer life should be continual. Continual in the sense that we maintain an an ongoing dialogue with him throughout the day. So we have a regimented time, but then throughout the day, we continue to reach out to him in prayer and connect with him to talk to him and again, listen for his voice. 19th century preacher R.A. Torrey said this, reading the command in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing should make us realize that God wants to talk to us. Yes, he's all-knowing, but he also desires your fellowship. When we seek God's face in prayer, we strengthen our relationship with him, and that is the most important reason to pray. We're not praying just to do our religious duty. We're not praying so we're covered. We're not praying so God can take care of all of our problems and all of our issues. We're praying to commune with him so we can get to know him. We're praying to strengthen our relationship with him. If we don't pray, that shows how we feel about our relationship with him. Well, I'm happy I'm saved. I got fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. I don't like hot places. But I really don't want to put the effort in to connect with God. And the sad thing is he desires fellowship with us. He, he wants to hang out with us. He wants to talk with us. You know what? This might shock you. He loves the sound of your voice. He wants to commune with you. Picture yourself alone in a car with Jesus all day. I don't know if you want to sing Jesus Take the Wheel, but if he's driving, if you're driving, if someone else is driving, say you're sitting in the back seat with Jesus, and you're on a long trip, it's going to be the whole day, wouldn't you talk to him? Wouldn't you try to connect with him? Wouldn't you want to maybe ask him some questions, get to know him? Wouldn't it be weird if you just sat there minute after minute, mile after mile, and didn't talk to him? Man, I'm a talker. I know some of you are talkers. I, you know, I'll talk to anybody. I'll talk to people I don't know. I'll talk to people I see in the store. I'll talk to myself. You pull up to me on the, at the light, and I'm in the car. I'm talking. You say, there's nobody in the car. Yes, there is. I'm talking to the Holy Ghost. I'm talking. You say, there's something wrong with you. We know that, but I'm still talking. 
all day long. And, and understand something. If you were in that car with Jesus, absolutely you would talk to him. You would connect him. But I, I, I want to tell you something. Jesus is in you. He is Christ in me, the hope of glory. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have communion and connection with him that we could dialogue with him all day. It's as if he was right there because he is right there. Well, I can't see him. I can't feel him. Don't be so sensual that you miss the spiritual reality that Christ is with you. So talk to him. If Pastor Mike and I are together, we're riding somewhere, doing something, there's no silence. Bronx, Brooklyn, there's no silence. we try, both trying to talk at the same time louder than each other. You guys are dead out there. Country bumpkins, come on now. You got, you got to talk to Jesus. He's, he's waiting to hear your voice. He wants to commune with you. So there needs to be a continual sense to our prayer. We learn to pray continually, not so we can become some highly productive, constantly busy, super spiritual Christian worker bee. Too many of us are focused on, oh, I got to do this for God, and I got to do that for God. And, and trust me, as a pastor, there's so many things that I could do but I can't do everything, so I might as well do the most important thing, and that's connecting with God and talking to him and hearing his voice and sharing what he shares with me with you. So we've got to understand it's not about us being busy and being workers and being you know, super productive. That, that's all part of our, our walk, but the most important reason that we pray is to get to know God. So if you're not praying, if you're not connecting with him, if you're not keeping the dialogue going, begin to do that. And you're going to be surprised at how much he reveals himself to you and how much you feel his presence in places and at times where you never expected to feel it. In your car, in the grocery store, at the office. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. The second thing the text says here, it says to pray continually, uh, and we understand the application of that and how it works. Pray at all times. And then it says, in the Spirit. Now, we're going uh, we're gonna to identify the fact that this command to pray in the Spirit has two meanings. The first meaning is this. You and I need to learn to pray according to the Father's will. Praying in the Spirit means praying what's on the heart of God. Maybe we wake up in the morning and we feel just an incredible burden from the lost. Where did that come from? Our, our goodwill and our, our tender heart? No, it came from the Father. Maybe we get up in the morning and we hit our knees and God brings some faces in front of us and we begin to pray for coworkers or family members. Well, what is that? That is praying in the Spirit because we are praying the heart of God. We're in tune with what's on the Father's heart. Now, it's possible for us to pray in opposition to what God's doing and pray in opposition to the, to the will of God, and that's counterproductive. If God's saying one thing and we're praying another thing, how many know that we have, we have a great capacity to be out there in left field? Jesus was heading for the cross, and he said, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, and Peter's like, not so, Lord. And Jesus was like, get behind me, Satan. And Peter's like, is Satan here? You talking to me? Yeah, because what? You're more concerned about the things of man than the things of God. Peter, was, his flesh was yelping out, no, Jesus, you're not going to die. That'll never happen. You see, the cry of Peter's heart 
was contradictory to the will of the Father to the point where Jesus had to rebuke him. And in a way that was kind of, you know, startling. You know, if somebody calls you Satan, I mean, that's... Anybody, any Satans out there? I mean, I've been called a lot of things. Never Satan. So we got to pray in the Spirit in the sense that we pray what's on the Father's heart. Because unless we humble ourselves and allow God to change our hearts, we're going to pray for things that don't come to pass and we're going to be continually disappointed. You know you can pray for stuff that God's not doing. It doesn't matter how hard you pray or how serious or even if you pray in King James and you quote Bible verses. <laughs> come on, thou hast, O Lord, is our greatest above all the earth. If I want a Dodge Charger. No. You can pray for stuff that God's not doing and it, it doesn't matter how hard you pray, it's not going to happen. Well, Pastor, it says, if I ask anything in his name, yeah, according to his will, what he's doing, amen? Not, not just anything that you could think of. You know, you can pray all day, every day, that God would abandon the nation of Israel and allow her enemies to destroy her, and it will never happen. There's some people in the body of Christ that preach a counterfeit uh, replacement theology that says God's done with Israel. He went, it's the church now that he's focused on, and they don't like Israel, and they, they want to see Israel swallowed up, and they don't believe Israel should be a nation. I'm talking about Christians with bad theology. Bad theology is bad. That's why they call it bad theology. But you can pray all day, oh, God, judge Israel, push them out of there, let, let the Palestine, listen, you, you can do that all day long, and it's never going to happen because it's not God's will. Jonah could have prayed for two lifetimes that God would destroy the Ninevites, but God didn't want to destroy them. He wanted them to find a place of repentance. He could have prayed and prayed. In fact, he didn't get his way, and he got mad at God, and he said, well, I'm not prophesying to him, so he went for a walk. And then we went for a ride in the fish. And then he got spit up on the beach. And he showed up with a clump of seaweed here, all bleached white. And he said, I'm, I'm ready to do it God's way now. But he could have prayed for two lifetimes. And God was not going to do what Jonah wanted. He was going to do what he wanted. The religious leaders of the day and the ones who persecuted Jesus and the ones who persecuted the apostles, they could have prayed until they died of old age. They could have fasted till their belly buttons hit their backbone. And listen to me, God was not going to stop the gospel. They said, we, we tell you not to preach in this name. And the disciples, uh, the apostles said, well, we'd rather obey God than man. So you could pray, you could fast, you could do whatever you want, but you're not going to stop the gospel. You see, we as Christians need to be discerning enough to pray the will of the Father. In fact, when those religious leaders were trying to persecute the church, Galileo, a wise, uh, I believe he was a Pharisee, gave them this counsel in Acts 5, 3, Acts 5, 38 and 39. Listen to what Gamaliel says to the religious leaders who want to snuff out the gospel. And so in this present case, Gamaliel says, I say to you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if the source of this plan or movement is men, it will fail. But if the source is God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. Wow. We don't want to be fighting against God in the place of prayer. 
God, do this, and God, do that, and God, do it this way, and God, do it now. Gamaliel's wisdom still speaks to us today, thousands of years later, when we pray out of step with the Spirit of God and in accordance with the Father's doing, we may find ourselves fighting God. And that's not the way we want to pray. So praying in the Spirit means praying the will of the Father by allowing the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. It also means praying in tongues. Paul prayed in tongues. The early church prayed in tongues. Paul said, I pray in the Spirit. I pray in the understanding. To pray in tongues is what it means here. It's one of the applications of praying in the Spirit. Now, praying in the Holy Spirit is an amazing gift, and I'm going to tell you why. When, when, we are, when we believe and are baptized, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the evidence of speaking in tongues. Here's why speaking in tongues is an incredible gift. When we pray in a tongue that we don't understand, it is a spirit-to-spirit connection between us and God. We get out of the way. That's right, Pastor Mike. That means my flesh doesn't get in the way. My expectations don't get in the way. My intellect doesn't get in the way. My theology doesn't get in the way. Did you realize all of those things get in the way of our prayers? So when we push all that aside and we don't pray in the natural, but we pray in the spirit, we pray the perfect will of the Holy Spirit to the Father, and it is a powerful, powerful weapon. Now, I want to speak to some folks that maybe are sitting out there that have gotten confusing or negative teaching on speaking in tongues, because there's a lot of that in the body of Christ. People that never were filled with the Holy Spirit, never spoke in tongues. They got a lot to say about it. And I just want to ask you a few whys this morning, and you make your decision. If God didn't want us to speak in tongues, then why did he make it the premier sign of the beginning of his church? In the book of Pentecost, they got in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell and they began to speak in other tongues. Listen to the account here. This was the beginning of the church, Acts 2.4. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If God didn't want us to do that, why did he start his church with that as the premier sign? Number two, why did Mark say in Mark 16, 17, that these signs would follow them that believe. He that believeth and am baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Listen to verse 17. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak in new tongues. And it continues, but I just want to stop there. If, if God didn't want us to have that gift, why did he say that that sign would follow those who believe? You believe, don't you? You have power over the devil, don't you? Two people, praise God. We cast out devils still, right? Why would he say that we're going to speak in tongues if we weren't supposed to? Number three, why did the Gentile converts speak in tongues when Paul laid hands on them? There's one instance Paul didn't even lay hands on them. The spirit fell and they began to speak in tongues. Here in Acts 19.6, it says, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Why did the Apostle Paul dedicate 33 verses in 1 Corinthians 14 detailing how to use the gift of speaking in tongues in the corporate church setting? Almost the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 is dedicated on how to use the gift of speaking in tongues and prophesying in the church. 
Why are there churches that don't have prophecy? And why are there churches that don't speak in tongues? If Paul invested his time to teach an entire chapter on the proper use of the gift. Why did Paul specifically for, say that you should not forbid speaking in tongues? 1 Corinthians 14, 39. Therefore, my brethren, the apostle Paul speaking, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Paul specifically told preachers, theologians, churches not to forbid it. Why doesn't the Bible warn believers not to speak in tongues if it's now unavailable to us or it's somehow of the devil now? It started off as the premier sign of the church, but now some people standing behind pulpits and say, well, it's not for us anymore. Now it's of the devil. Where's the scripture for that? Please show it to me. Now in theology, they call that secession. It's a fancy word for saying that the gifts of the spirit don't operate in the church anymore. Where is that in the Bible? Let me help you. It's not in there. But all throughout the scripture, it talks about the gifts of the spirit being poured out and being used. So a bunch of whys this morning, and I'll conclude with this one last why. You don't have to have any gift you don't want. And the Bible even says that, do all speak in tongues? No, they don't. Some people don't have that gift. But why wouldn't you want every gift available to you as a believer that would enhance your power in prayer and, and, and revolutionize your prayer life? Why wouldn't you want that? Why, why, why? I want everything God has for me. I need all the power I can get. I want to connect with him spirit to spirit, amen? I want my flesh out of the way. Paul said many times, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but I would rather that you prophesy than you speak in tongues in a public setting because it's more edifying to the church. Study 1 Corinthians 14. Answer these whys for yourself. And then I ask you, why would you not want the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. If you do want that gift at the conclusion of service, you can come up. We prayed for some people after church, uh, first service, and God moved. And uh, it's for everybody, amen? You just need to have faith. So we need to pray in the Spirit in the sense that we know the will of the Father and pray His heart so we're not fighting against God. We need to pray in the Holy Spirit so we can get our flesh out of the way and connect Spirit to Spirit with the Father. If you have the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, you need to use that gift every day in your prayer time. Come on, church, say amen. Okay, so there's a third point here that we take out of verse X, uh, verse, this verse here, and it's praying with discernment and tenacity. So we're to pray continually, we're to pray in the Spirit, but we're also to pray with discernment and tenacity. Look what it says. Be alert with all perseverance. Are you alert this morning? Are you awake this morning? Amen. I, you know, I ask a question, two people answer. Then when I come back at you, the same two people get annoyed. Yes, I heard you. It was the other 97% that are looking at me like statues and I'm trying to get awake. Fulfilling this idea of being alert and perseverance, uh, it's very important that that filters into our prayer lives. And it's a command. And, 
you know, notice it, it's not saying if you want, you know, you should persevere. If you, if you feel like it, you know, maybe be alert to what's going on. No, be alert with all perseverance. Now, f- fulfilling this means that we have to be attentive in the place of prayer. You know, we live in a very distracted world, more than ever. You know, and it's our, it's our technology that has really turned us into distracted people. You know, you can go online. I, in fact, as I was studying for this message, I went and there are entire YouTube channels dedicated to people who are like walking through, uh, you know, into traffic, looking at their phones, falling into fountains. There's a whole channel dedicated to people just walking through glass, glass doors, glass windows, glass phone booths. The young people are smiling because you guys have seen all this stuff. And people are just walking around, walking into traffic, walking into fountains. Why? Because they're distracted. If you, you're on the highway, you're on the Taconic, look, look who's on, you know, next to you. Look what they're doing. They're on their phone. They're doing this. They're drinking coffee. There's some lady putting lipstick on. All the ladies are smiling. It was me. I was late. People are distracted. And they're not paying attention. And in the natural, that's dangerous, but, you know, in the spiritual realm, it's even more dangerous. We need to be alert at what's going on. Uh, People are not paying attention. There were some medical students who were attending their first anatomy class with a real human cadaver. It It was an exciting day. They all gathered around the cadaver, and it was covered with a white sheet, and the professor of the class started off by telling them, to be a doctor, to work in the medical field, you need two important qualities. The first quality is that you should never be disgusted about anything that involves the human body. And with that, he pulled the sheet away. He stuck his finger in the cadaver's nose and put it in his mouth. And the class reacted like most of you just reacted. They were a little shocked. They were a little, they were a little disgusted. So the professor told him, if you want to pass this class, each one of you has to do exactly what I've just done. And they paused and they hemmed and they hawed. But eventually each one of them did what the professor had done. Now, he said the second quality that a doctor must have, that a person in the medical field must have, is that they must be observant. If you were observant, you would have noticed I put my middle finger in the cadaver's nose and my index finger in my mouth. Now pay attention. Look, I don't know if that's true, but it's awesome. We should have tried that here today. But the truth is most people are not paying attention. They they hear what they think they hear. They see what they think they hear. They do. Well, you know, that's not what he did but they weren't paying close enough attention. They were not alert. And sometimes you and I are not alert either. And we need to be alert. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 8. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us flat out, pay attention or else. Be sober, a spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Who's the enemy going to attack? Who's the enemy going to take advantage of? Who's the enemy going to harass? The people who are not paying attention. Because spiritually, they're they're so dull that he has the complete ability to deceive them, to trip them up, to distract them. It says right here, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Pay attention. 
let's be honest, how attentive are we about spiritual things? It's so easy for us to be attentive about the way we look and how we're dressed, you know, and, you know, if your buttons are right, if your shirt's not off, if your zipper's up, you know, these are the things we hopefully pay attention to. We pay attention to if there's order at our desk or, you know, uh, uh, our, you know, if we have some kind of structure and we're, we have our food and we pay attention to all those things. But spiritually, sometimes we are not paying attention at all. And we wonder why attacks seem to come out of nowhere when really they've been mounting up against us for weeks. We, we seem to wonder why, you know, why, why, why do I have lack in this area? Or why, you know, why am, I, why am I stuck in this spot? And we're not paying attention to spiritual things. And I want to ask you a few questions. Are, are we paying attention to what the Father's doing right now? Are we paying attention to a lot of stuff? politics and who's doing this and uh, you know we're paying attention to finances and business and what the governor said but uh, what's God doing is anybody paying attention are we paying attention to what our adversaries are up to right now there are people who are plotting, planning to systematically shut up the church, dismantle the church, uh, cause Christians to not go to church, Christians to be depressed, Christians to give up on God. The government told us that the church is not essential. The, the governor said, I'm not essential. And some of us have agreed because we're not here. Are we paying attention to what the enemy's doing? What our father's doing? Are we paying attention to our relationships? Oh, it's so quiet now. I can just feel the oxygen. If I had a tie, it would just be going. <laughs> you know, because now, all oh, relationships. Now you're going to talk about relationships? Yeah, our relationships are important. How's your relationship with God today? How's your marriage? You know, I've been doing marriage counseling. It's going almost three decades. You know, you, come, you bring them in, and one person says everything's good, and the other person's crying. I'll let you guess who the person is. You say to the husband, how's your marriage? It's great. You say to the wife, he doesn't bring me flowers anymore. How are your relationships? Are we paying attention? How's your relationship with your friends and your family and, and with the lost? Are your coworkers hearing about Jesus? We're going to be accountable for those ones that stumble into hell that we rub shoulders with every day and we didn't bother to tell them because it was too risky. Are we paying attention to our finances? Oh, just spending, spending, spending. Amazon, I know his first name comes, deliver my package. The UPS man, he's got my phone number, he calls me. Are we paying attention to our finances? Do, or when the bill comes, do we pray without ceasing? <laughs> oh, Jesus. How about our health? Are we paying attention to our health? What are we putting in our mouth? You know, our bodies are, you, uh, the way we look is a choice. Some of us, you know, our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. The way we eat, you think it was a haunted house. How's your health today? Oh, I can't believe, you know, I can't believe my cholesterol. I can't believe it. You can't believe? You have a mirror? Are we paying attention 
It's amazing how we act shocked about things all the time. I can't believe this happened to me. I just think constantly for four years and I'm overweight. God help us. Be alert. Wake up. Pay attention. Stop being distracted. Alertness in prayer is vital. There's one last component, and I'll close with this. We have to pray without ceasing. Yes, we need to learn to keep that dialogue going. We need to pray in the Spirit, the will of the Father, and in the Holy Ghost. We have to be attentive and alert, but we also have to be tenacious. The last thing that it's telling us here is that, you know, with all perseverance, what does that mean? That we need to be tenacious. I like the word tenacity. It means this, to grip firmly, to be determined and persistent. I like the fact that God is tenacious for me. He's got a tight grip on me. He's persistent in ordering my steps and preserving me and, and guiding me. I like the tenacity at which the Holy Spirit pursues me and corrects me and teaches me. But we need to have that same kind of tenacity in prayer. Now, just like there are two times to praise God, there are two times to pray, when we feel like it and when we don't. Well, Pastor, I'd pray more, but I don't feel like it. Listen, it's not about feelings, amen? We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk in the spirit, not by our emotions. We're spiritual, not sensual. Oh, I'm, you know, I don't feel like praying, you know, I just, you know, I just want to have a nice day and, uh, and, you know, drink my coffee, and I, in the morning I can't talk to God until I have my, relax. Who's number one in your life? Who's on the throne of your heart? Who are you gripping firmly like that woman who gripped the hem of Jesus' garment because she needed a miracle? Tenacity is what the church needs. If my people who are called by my name, we, we, we need to realize we need to storm the gates of heaven with prayer, with brokenness and repentance. And if we're so lackadaisical about it, if we're so uh, indifferent towards it, like it's, ah, oh, what does it matter? Huh. Well, then we get what we get. But we need to pray when we feel like it and when we don't. If we only pray when we feel like it, we're never going to get our breakthrough. You say, I need a breakthrough, Pastor. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray tenaciously. Pray like the persistent widow. Grab the hem of his garment and don't let go. Pray until. Prayer is a topic that the church needs to spend a lot of time visiting. We, we don't get excited about it. We don't like to think about the fact that we might not be doing it enough. But Jesus' disciples, after walking with him a long time, said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I say the same thing today for myself and for Gospel Center. In this season, at this time, right now, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray without ceasing. Teach us to pray in the Spirit. Teach us to pray in the Holy Ghost. Teach us to pray with alertness and tenacity. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand clap of praise.